when life goes wrong. When life goes wrong, there is usually one question that permeates our whole being. I mean, it just fills us up. And this is the question that we all ask when life goes wrong. Where is God? When, when I lived right and I still got cancer, Where's God? When I tried to be a good spouse and my spouse walked out on me still, where's God? When we raised our kids in the church and then they get older and they turn their back on us and the faith that we brought them up in, where is God? When someone that I love dies way too young, way too young, way before their time, where is God? When I open up my newsfeed in the morning and the world seems to be burning itself to the ground, where in the world is God? And this question carries with it a really critical assumption that we all make about God and having God in our lives and having God a part of our lives. And here's the assumption that it carries with it. It's really important that we assume God's presence promises prosperity and protection. We assume that God's presence promises prosperity and protection. See if you can say that three times fast. We assume that if God is present with us, then we will always be prosperous and we will be protected and everything will be hunky-dory and everything will go well with us and everything will work out and it'll all be okay and we will prosper and we will be protected. And when we put our faith in this assumption, it inevitably crumbles when it doesn't all work out and we don't prosper and we we don't feel protected and life just kind of goes wrong and stuff happens i don't know about you in your life stuff just kind of happens sometimes in life and this, is, this assumption is a recipe not just for disaster. It is a recipe for something that young people in the greater global church are struggling with that we're seeing more and more is something called deconstruction. This is a recipe, this assumption, for young people who are literally deconstructing, taking apart their faith because we built their faith on this wrong assumption that, it, that God would be with them and everything would be okay because we were taught a version of our faith that said to put our faith in Jesus and it'll all work out, to trust in God and everything will be okay because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak and he is strong. Give me a butter cookie and red Kool-Aid and I'll be okay <laughs> because I'm a little one who belongs to him and he's strong and surely he'll protect me and sometimes we don't feel protected 
And sometimes we don't feel like everything is okay. It's just not true. And that's why so many people are deconstructing their faith, especially young people, because we built this version of faith that trusts in Jesus and it'll all be okay. And if they believe this, and then when they find out it doesn't happen, when mom and dad get divorced, when they flunk out of college, when, when their heart gets broken, well, then maybe everything else we taught them wasn't true. And they start unpacking our faith, and it's such a shame because I want to tell you the real version of our faith is so much better and so much richer and um, so much more critical. And it's why this series called When Life Goes Wrong is so important because you don't have to live very long for you to figure out that life will sometimes go wrong. Hey, I'm really glad you're here. My name is Carter McInnes, and I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop, and I'm so honored that you are here today. If you're brand new, you're in part two of this message series where we're studying a character in the Bible named Joseph who kind of takes up the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And last week we kicked off the series, so I would love for you to go back and watch that so you can kind of catch up with this. If you're watching online, thanks for welcoming us into your homes or wherever that you are at. Joseph, this guy that we're studying, had every reason to ask this question, where is God? But his faith would have imploded if he had asked this question too deeply, if he had built his faith on this assumption. Joseph was the 11th of 12 brothers, but he was his father's favorite, which already is like, it's bad news, right, to, to, to play favorites. We know this, there's already a really unhealthy dynamic. And it, it was evidenced as the favorite son by his father giving him this ornate robe or a coat of many colors. If you learned this story when you were young, that was what it was called. If you learned this story on Broadway, it was an amazing Technicolor dream coat. That's the, the Broadway musical is, is based off of this. And so he's got this coat. His brothers hate him, not because he has a coat, because he's his dad's favorite. His 10 older brothers, his baby brother is a baby. And his 10 brothers hate him so much that they decide they're going to kill him. So one day when they are far away from home working in a field and Joseph is going to check on them at the bequest of his father, he, they, they see him coming in the distance and they devise a plan. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. Then we'll be done with it. Because see, Joseph has told them that he has been given a dream from God and in this dream, he is going to rise in prominence. The 11th of 12 sons, he is going to rise in prominence and leadership over his 10 older brothers, over his parents, over his family. And they hate him all the more for it. So this will be done with the coat that they are reminded at that they're not their dad's favorite all the time. This will, this will rid them of the dreamer. This will rid them of their annoying brother who they hate. Now, Reuben is the oldest brother. And there's a moment where Reuben kind of like turns good. He turns to be a good guy in the story. And he tells his brothers, he's like, no, oh, no, 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 let's don't kill him. Let's capture him and throw him in this cistern, which is like a big pit where they would store water. And he has a plan that he's going to come back later on 
and rescue Joseph. And the story doesn't make clear. They do this. They're like, okay, sure, fine. So they capture him. They take his coat. They throw him down into the cistern. And Reuben has a plan that he's going to come back and rescue him later. And the story does not make clear. Somehow Reuben gets separated and leaves the nine other brothers. And when they're by themselves, just there with Joseph in the pit, they see this band of kind of nomad travelers coming in the distance. And Judah, who is the second oldest brother, has a new idea. He's like, guys, 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 guys. Okay, Reuben's gone, so we could just kill him. But there's no money in murder. So I've got a better idea. Let's sell him in slavery to these, these nomads that are coming, these Midianites, Ishmaelites that are coming by. Let's sell him in slavery. After all, guys, he's our, and he has this crazy speech. He's like, he's our brother, and wouldn't you feel much better about selling him into slavery than killing him? And they're like, so much better. <laughs> right? So much better. So Joseph, who has had this dream that he's going to rise in leadership, who has had this calling and purpose of God like he is going to be over his brothers, is now sown into slavery. And his brothers take his coat, and they rip it to shreds. They put goat's blood on it, and they take it back to their dad. And they're like, hey, dad, we found this coat. What do you think this means? And he just assumes... You know, the worst, like, oh, my goodness, he's been attacked by a wild animal. He's been killed, and his father, Jacob, mourns, and Joseph is in captivity, and then it goes from bad to worse because the nomads, the Ishmaelite and Midianites that he was sold to decide to sell him again. This is what it says, and we're going to be in chapter 39 of Genesis. If you're reading along or got your Bibles open there, if you don't have a Bible and you're in the room, please take one at the bookshelves on the way out. We want to give that to you. And if you're watching at home, you can get your your Bible or your app there open on chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. He is being bought and sold and bought and sold. He is supposed to be a founding member of the 12 tribes of Israel. He is supposed to be in leadership, in authority. He has a purpose. He is the great-grandson of Father Abraham of Israel. And now he is nothing more than a commodity. Now, can we just stop for just a moment here? And just say that any time that we read a story in the scriptures that talk about slavery, it is hard for us not to be taken back to one of the ugliest eras in American history. Can we just name that? That any time we even just read that word, it's hard not to be taken there. And I just want to name that. Slavery was ugly and awful in America It was ugly and awful in Egypt. It was ugly and awful for Joseph. It is still ugly and awful in the human trafficking that continues to go on in 2022. And it's just important just as we read that to just name that. But do you think Joseph, do you think Joseph who has got this dream from God and now is being in captivity and is being bought and sold and and here and there, do you think he ever wondered 
where is God? I thought I had a calling. I thought I had a purpose. I'm supposed to be a leader, and now a slave is literally as far away from a leader as you can get. I'm supposed to, to be doing something for God. I'm supposed to thrive, not just survive. And the next verse, the next verse, begins the unexpected story of the answer to this question, the unexpected response of the whereabouts of God while Joseph is in slavery. And if you just, if you just miss this, it's almost shocking, right, when you read it. I don't want you to miss this. Listen to the next verse. The Lord was with Joseph. He was with Joseph. Where is it? You're in captivity. You're in slavery. You're literally not free. I wonder where God is. And the next verse is like, oh, he's with Joseph. That's where he's at. You want to know where God is? He's with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with him. God's presence is not an indication that any, everything will be easy, blessed, or even good. He is still a slave. This is not the dream that he dreamt. His brother sold him like a piece of property and the life he had planned has gone all wrong but just because he's awful doesn't mean it's absent just because it's awful doesn't mean he's absent and I love the way I love the way Judd Wilhite at Central Church in Las Vegas says that we want to believe that God's presence is the promise of prosperity and protection but that's just not the true story of what the scripture promises I love this that God's presence is the promise God's presence is the promise. Listen, just because things have gone terrible, just because they've gone wrong, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten you, given up on you, left you, or is absent for you. Hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, and you heard Ben say this earlier this morning, that the psalmist would write that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for thou art with me. He is with you in the valley. He is with you in the broken heart. He is with you in the hospital. He is with you in the sleepless nights. He is with you in the pain. He is with you in the hurt. He is with you in the disappointment. He is with you in the courtroom, and he is with you in the suffering. God's presence is the promise. He is with you. Some of you right now are right in the thick of it. I want you to know something. He's with you. He was with Joseph. And he's with you. His presence is the promise. And his presence turns out to be very beneficial for Potiphar. Listen to what the next verse says. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, like it was evident, it was evident. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So he literally hires him to be like his right-hand man, servant, executive assistant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything 
that he owned. Now, don't misunderstand those verses about, like said, that he was prosperous and that he had success. Everything Joseph touched turned to gold for Potiphar. Because you can read that and be like, see there, he did prosper. Lord was with him. No, God was with him and Potiphar prospered. Don't miss that. And listen to the next verse. Listen to the next verse. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. Why? Because of Joseph. Well, this is a hard pill to swallow. When your life goes wrong and God is with you in the wrongness, his presence might create blessing for someone else. Maybe even someone who is not a believer and doesn't even believe in your God. God's presence with you might benefit someone you don't think deserves it. And boy, that can lead to a really dangerous mental and emotional state. When you are being faithful, you ever had this happen to you? You're being faithful and you feel like you're in the valley and somebody else is living large. You got a boss who is crooked and mean and you're working hard and you bite your tongue like off during the day to not say what's really on your mind and you're trying to be a Christian and they're just getting richer. Like you, you're working hard and there's somebody else. You, boy, it's a dangerous mental and emotional state. And listen to how it, the next part, what it says. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Joseph had, right? The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that he had. That's a really, really tough thing. And then listen to this next verse. This, this is, I mean, this tells you how good it's getting for Potiphar. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And this is the dream of every man on planet Earth. Right? We all just want to sit around and eat Cheetos. We want to plan our next meal while we're eating our current meal. Amen? Yesterday, we, I parked myself in the recliner and watched college football all day. Anybody else do that? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for that. And it was late at night. It was like, Late in the game, the Texas A&M-Miami game, that was a late one on. And, you know, we were watching that. And my oldest son, Morgan, he was the only one up. We were the only two left. And he's about ready to go to bed. And he goes, this is what you're going to do all day next Saturday, too. Aren't and I was like, yes. And in my mind, I'm thinking, and I'm planning what I'm going to eat next week while I do it. Right? Like we all want to be Potiphar. He is literally getting fat and happy. He's living the dream, and then listen to this sinister plot twist. This sinister plot twist. Now Joseph was well built and handsome 
And I'm sure Potiphar is putting on a few LBs, right? I mean, he doesn't sit around and do anything but concern himself what he eats. Joseph's doing all the work, getting a little pump in, carrying stuff all around the house. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And this is a big moment. This is a big moment. Here's what I believe. Your integrity will be tested in the valley. Your integrity will be tested in the valley. And we are in a scary place when it feels like we have been faithful and others are winning and it feels like God isn't coming through for us. I feel like I've been faithful, I've been doing everything right, and they're getting all the accolades, and they're winning at life, and I'm not winning, and all of a sudden, it is, that is when the enemy strikes to test your integrity. You have to guard your heart, because that is when the enemy will come forward, and you have to decide before you get to the valley if your integrity is for sale. Sometimes when our things go wrong, our ethics fly out the window, and we have to make the decision that we are not going to be people focused on results because we don't control results, but we only control our response. We do not control. If we do, we do the right thing and how other people respond or what the circumstances are around us or what the results of our doing the right thing, Joseph has been faithful and his master has gotten rich. He just wants to be free. He just wants to go home and see his dad and his baby brother. But he doesn't get to decide the results. He only gets to decide what his response is going to be in those moments. And here's Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife's coming on to him. He refused. Integrity. When life goes wrong, will you keep your integrity? With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. You've seen him. Everything he owns has entrusted to my care. I mean, he's put me in charge of the field, the house, everything. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph, listen to this, day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. And even be with her. Day after day, there will always be opportunities to put your integrity on the market. And when I get in a tough spot, that's the question I have to ask. Will my integrity be on the market? Joseph's got to be thinking, I can't catch a break. I try to do everything right, and all I keep getting put in is tough situations. Even when he was captured by his brothers and thrown into a pit and left for dead and sold into slavery, he was doing his father a favor, obeying him to go check on his brothers, and his faithfulness isn't paying off. Is that what we think faithfulness will do? Like, I mean, surely eventually it'll pay off. Ooh. That's a dangerous place. And the tension 
of this frustration of Joseph always doing the right thing and the wrong thing seeming to happen hits a crescendo in this story with Potiphar's wife. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, just doing his job, and none of the household servants was inside. There was nobody there. All the ring cameras were turned off. Nobody was going to see this. And she caught him by his cloak this time and said, come to bed with me. This is a danger zone right here. It's a danger zone. It's something that I call this, incremental integrity loss. Where's Joseph's heart at? We haven't really seen it. I mean, he's refused, he's refused. But what's going on in his heart? This is integrity, in, incremental integrity loss, and I want you to just fill in the blanks for yourself, okay? Because blank, I deserve blank. This is what we start doing. We start mentally making excuses for when we inevitably lose our integrity. It's incremental. Is Joseph doing this? Is he going, you know, because... I am working like crazy for this guy, and all I want to go home, and he's not going to let me go home. You know what? I deserve this. Because blank, I deserve that. Because I'm working so hard, I deserve to feel good. Because I'm stressed, I deserve to forget things for a while. Because I'm underpaid, I deserve to fudge the numbers a little bit and take a little extra home. Because of what they did to me, I deserve to do this to them. Because I didn't get that, I deserve to get this. Because blank... I deserve blank. Um, moral failure within the ministry is kind of a pandemic right now. Um, we see it in mega church pastors, and every one of them is like brokenhearted. But for me, it's 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 touched my life from friends. You know, not not the celebrity that's in the news, but pastor friends of mine. But I want to tell you something. Oftentimes, like I could see it coming, like I hear of a friend, and I could already see the warning signs, except for one. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And I called him out of the blue, not knowing that he was at the breaking point, not knowing that the day before he had confessed to his church and confessed to his wife. I was literally just calling check on him, and he told me the whole story, and I'll just, and I just said, what happened? And this is what he said to me, incredible man, incredible leader, incredible pastor. He said, you know, I was working so hard, I'd planted a church, I was underpaid, I was stressed, and I just thought because I was given so much to so many other people, I deserved this just for me. Because blank, I deserve blank. That's a dangerous place. And for, for, pot, you know, for this situation, for Joseph, for my, my buddy, it was one issue, but for you, it could be money. It could be all kind of different things because blank. Here, and here's the interesting thing. The solution to this incremental integrity loss is the gospel. 
Because the gospel starts with not because blank, I deserve blank. The gospel starts with I deserve hell because of my sin, but because Jesus gave himself up for me and died for me, I get heaven and eternal life. You see, that... That, that's why the gospel is so critical to be planted in our hearts because it stops me from thinking about what I deserve because of what I did or what they did when I realize I deserve nothing and Christ gave me everything. It, it is the antidote to this kind of thinking. Well, what's Joseph going to do here? What, what's he going to do? This is the million-dollar question when life goes wrong. Will I be the kind of person God's calling me to be when circumstances aren't what I hoped they'd be? Will I be the kind of person God's calling me to be when circumstances aren't what I hope they'd be? When life goes wrong, this is the only card you got to play. It's all we have control over. And it's not just one decision. We have to decide, am I going to be satisfied about circumstances, about results, or am I going to be about the response? Well, enough suspense. Here's what Joseph did. But he left his cloak in her hand. He literally like ran out of his clothes and ran out of the house. Great response, Joseph. Great response. You're like, integrity, man. What's the result going to be? You don't get to choose the results. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. And this is the story she said, right? Hey, I came on to Joseph, but he's really a man of integrity. Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when her husband Potiphar finally comes home, she tells him this fabrication that she's made up about the whole incident. And who do you think Potiphar's going to believe? His wife or a slave? When his master heard this, the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Life goes wrong for Joseph. Do not miss this. Do not miss this. Do not miss this. This is the opposite of this assumption that we made at the beginning of the message today. When life goes wrong for Joseph... And he chooses faithfulness. He chooses integrity. It just goes wronger. I know it's not an English word, but I'm making it up for this series. It's just wronger. It's just more wrong. It's just more ugly. It's just more terrible. And I wish I could tell you that bad people will get what's coming to them and that everything will go well for you in this life if you have integrity. But we do not get to control the results. We only get to control our response. And the question is not about will we come out on top. The question is that when life goes wrong, will I be the kind of person God's calling me to be when circumstances aren't what I hoped they would be?
Now, if you, last week, if you were here last week, I told us at the beginning of this series, and I'll tell you now, Joseph's story ends up with him on top. Second in command of the most powerful empire of the world. But let me ask you this question. If Joseph's story ended right here, would his legacy change? He'd always be known as a man who kept his integrity. He'd always be known as being the kind of person that God called him to be, even when circumstances aren't what he hoped that they would be. You and I don't have control of when our story ends or how our story ends. We only get to control is who we are in the story, who you are in the story, who I am in the story. So will you be the kind of person God's calling you to be when circumstances aren't what you hope they'd be? We're going to find out next week. Joseph might be in prison now. It's gone from bad to worse. But God is just getting started with his story. And some of you right now, you feel like you're in the valley. You feel like everything has gone wrong for you in your marriage in trying to get married, be married, in a relationship, at work, in your finances, at your school, in your group of friends, you feel like everything is going wrong. And I just want you to know something. Just like Joseph, God is just getting started on your story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you were a God who was with us. Help us to be the people that you're calling us to be even when the circumstances aren't what we hoped they'd be. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a